So many of our habits, our good habits, are things that we have to do over and over and over again. So let me ask you a couple questions. Uh, brushing your teeth, right? How many of you brush your teeth at least once a month? Okay. <laughs> Only 12 of you? How many of you brush your teeth once a month? How many of you brush your teeth at least once a day? Let me see your hands. This is, okay. How many of you have brushed your teeth this morning? All right. We may not have clean soles. We got clean teeth. That's great. All right. Um, taking a bath, taking a shower. How many of you bathe at least once a week? Now, if you're a middle school boy, that may all, you know, maybe out the window. But all right. So from last night to today, you've had last 24 hours, you've had a shower or whatever. How many of you clean, clean? We really appreciate that in this, in this tight room. Um, those habits, you have to repeat them because it's not enough to brush your teeth once a week. It's not enough to take a bath once a month, is it? You have to bathe. Those of you that shave, some of you don't shave, but those of you guys that shave, um, you got to shave every day, right? If your work environment calls for that, you shave Monday morning. What do you do Tuesday morning? You shave. What do you do Wednesday morning? Right. Those of you ladies, how many of you wear makeup? Ladies, come on, fess up, hands high. How many of you don't wear makeup? Okay. How many of you wear lipstick almost every day? All right. You can't put lipstick on March the 1st and a couple on Tuesday and expect the lipstick to last the whole month, right? I, I'm not really a lipstick expert, but that's kind of what I think. All right. Don't hold me to that. Uh, what's the point? It, it's not enough. You start these habits and you have to do them over and over and over again. We're going to study the book of Leviticus today. It's about never enough. Say that with me. It's never enough. Say it with me. It's never enough. You want to know what the book of Leviticus is? It's never enough. It's never enough offerings. It's never enough tithes. It's never enough first fruits. It's never enough burnt offerings. It's never enough grain offerings. It's never enough fellowship offerings. It's never enough guilt offerings. It's never enough sin offerings. No matter what you do, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, seventh month, tenth day, it comes every year. It's never enough. If you want to know what the book of Leviticus is about, it's about what? It's never enough. Say it to one of your neighbors on your right, one of your neighbors on your left. Say it out loud a couple times. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. Now, you know what that feels like. Because some of you were raised in homes where it was never enough. And no matter how well you did your chores, do we still use the word chores today? You know what that means? Okay. All right. You know what that means? Okay, good. No matter how well you did your chores, you didn't do them fast enough. You didn't do it clean enough. Some of you grew up in homes. How many of you grew up in homes where it was never enough home? No matter what you did, you couldn't please your mom. You couldn't please your dad. There was an uncle, and no matter what. Some of you with grades. How about with grades? It was never enough. You got four A's. Well, no, you didn't get four A's. I know you, okay? You got four B's and two C's, but it was what? It was never enough. There was still some conditional things, okay? That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. It is never enough. No matter how much you offer, how well you offer, it is a book about it is never enough. And we don't like that feeling. Some of you are in marriages right now. It's never enough. No matter what you do, 
No matter what you say, no matter how hard, it's just, it's, it's just never enough. Some of you have aging parents now. Where how, no matter how hard you try to take care of your aging parents, it's what? It's, it's never enough. And, and so I think all of us in this room, you guys and gals in business, you've told me for 30 years, hey, I met my numbers, I exceeded my goals, but it's still... Never know. And so how do you feel with that? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes a work environment, a family environment, a social environment. Some of you have had friends, had friends, where it was never enough. And you're no longer friends with them because of that. Because no matter what, you couldn't call them enough, text them enough, eat them enough, have dinner, no matter what. And so you're no longer friends with them. Nobody likes that feeling. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. It is a book about it is never enough. You can never offer enough. So... I want to teach you the book of Leviticus today because the book of Leviticus actually fires me up in a good way about Christ and about communion. And we're going to land today taking communion at the end of the message. And this morning, I hope you have a heightened awareness. I hope communion never is the same for you ever again after today. So let me give you some rails just real quickly that we're going to ride on what Leviticus is all about. If you're a note taker, you're a bulletin, you want to fill in some things. Let me give you five real quickly. What's Leviticus about? Number one, Leviticus is about God. It's definitely about God. Number two, Leviticus is about how dangerous sin is. Number three, am I going too fast? It's never enough, is it? Just never enough. (laughs) Number three, Leviticus tells us how to cover one's sins. Leviticus tells us that all sin is sinful, but not all sins are equally sinful. You've heard people say, well, a sin is a sin is a sin. Well, that's really not true. Some sins have far greater consequences than other sins. And in number five, it says this. So Leviticus tells us we definitely need a Savior. We need a Savior to remove our sins. And this kind of gets us to Galatians, the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3, which says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. So here's what Leviticus is about. It's about getting right and trying to stay right with God. Good luck, because it's never enough. It's about trying to get right and stay right with God. Leviticus is, is, is a book where no matter how hard you try, you've got to do it again and again and again and again and again and again. It is never, it is never enough. And so Leviticus is also a book that kind of picks up where the book of Exodus leaves off. So let me just read a couple of verses about the point of the book of Leviticus for us. Here we go. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws, be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Okay? Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, and so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do as any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you. And the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. 
And then look at chapter 19, verses 1 and 2 here. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. All right. I want to share with you now five sacrifices, five different offerings that you are going to be excited, ecstatic that you don't have to do. Okay. You're going to be ecstatic about this, but I want you to understand this so that when you come, when it comes time to your relationship with Christ and when it comes time to your relationship about communion, you will never look at communion the same. My goal is today, after you see this, you will never, ever take communion for granted. There's five different sacrifices that were never enough that you had to offer over and over and over and over again. Three, where you were in fellowship with God. Two, you were out of fellowship with God. So, first of all, let me show you this brazen altar. This is an altar in front of the holy place, in front of the most holy place before this laver. This brazen altar is where you would bring the bull, the goat, the turtle doves, the pigeons, whatever. You would bring them. You would sacrifice them on an altar. There's kind of a little altar behind there. You would sacrifice it and you would put it on here. The first offering is called the burnt offering. And the burnt offering is this, it's a free will. In other words, I'm doing it because I'm trying to get in favor with God. I love God. I want to keep God. I fear God. I don't really know if I'm in right relationship with God. But I'm going to offer the burnt offering because I want to keep in the right relationship. Now, here's the problem. I got to do it again. And I got to do it again. And I got to do it again. Because it's never, it's never enough. And so let me get you, I won't do this on all the other four, but I just wanted you to see some of the pieces of the burnt offering. Let me give you some bullet points on this. The purpose was atonement. The whole animal was burned on the altar. They burned the whole animal. Offered every day in the tabernacle. Once in the morning, tabernacles were the holy place, the holy, holy place is. Once in the morning and once in the evening. In fact, there was to be a burnt offering on that altar that I showed you to begin with. There was to be an, a burnt offering on that all night long. And in the morning, we start all over again because it's never enough. It expressed full devotion to God. It's the only sacrifice if you weren't a Jew that you could offer. And you laid hands on the animal, symbolizing identification and transference. So when you're getting ready to kill your bull... You put your hands on it, and you transferred all your gunk and junk onto the bull. That's the burnt offering. The second one's the grain offering. And the grain offering is kind of like what I talked about last week with Cain and Abel. Why did God accept Abel's offering and God did not accept Cain's offering? Because Cain gave in the course of time. Cain gave when he got around to it. But Abel gave like the first part of his check. This is the grain offering. The grain offering says, I'm grateful for my harvest. I'm grateful for my crops. I'm grateful for what you've given to me. I just want you to know I appreciate it. Number three, burnt offering, grain offering, and then the fellowship offering. And this was kind of like a worshiper's connection with God and with the people. And by the way, this is the only offering where the priests and the people all worshiped together and had a sacrificial meal. They ate a meal together. So those three where you offered over and over and over and over again when you were in a right relationship with God. Now, here's the other two. These are when you're out of fellowship with God. Number, number one is the sin offering. This covered the sins of uncleanliness, neglect, or thoughtlessness. So you're the butcher, and you're selling Susie a rack of lamb. And Susie asks for three pounds of lamb. And you think you charged her for four. You're not really sure, 
but you're pretty sure you overcharged Susie, but you never go back and kind of make it right with Susie. All you got to do is go offer the sin offering. You cheated Susie. Susie got cheated, but just to make sure that you were in a right relationship with God and hopefully with people, you offered the sin offering. The guilt offering, the next one is, you know you cheated her. You cheated her on purpose. You purposely gave Susie three pounds of lamb, and you purposely charged her for four pounds of lamb. That's when you offered the guilt offering, and you had to do it over. Did I mention that? Over and over and over and over again. I got old. And today, we don't do this. Now, the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, so all those sacrifices came to a screeching halt. But aren't you glad today that we don't have to do that? We don't have to be a part of that. So we have a whole different culture today when it comes to our relationship with Christ. And we don't offer those sacrifices that are there together. All right, now, I want to talk to you about the Super Bowl. This is the Super Bowl of all days, okay? Not football, NFL's over. I'm bummed. We've got a few months to go till August. But anyway, this is Yom Kippur. And Yom, Yom Kippur was what's known as the Day of Atonement. So you do all five of these sacrifices over and over and over again. And then the Super Bowl Sunday was the Day of Atonement. The Super Bowl Sunday, where the sins were really appeased and atoned for, was the Day of Atonement. So I thought, how can I do this today? Let me read for you the Day of Atonement, and then let me go back and try to explain it. Okay? Is that good? All right, here we go. Let me just read these verses about the Day of Atonement. Once a year, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he's not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and for his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. That means the holy place. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all of their sins. And put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or foreign residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. That was a lot. Okay? Do you need to, like, bathroom break? Do you, do you, need, a, you need to stand up? Do you need to smoke? What, what, whatever you need to do, you know, we'll do it, right? I, I, but now I want to catch your attention. Come back to me. Let me explain this, okay? There's over 14 steps to the Day of Atonement. Over 14 
And everything mattered. First of all, the high priest had to offer a sacrifice, a bull for himself. Then he had to offer a ram for his household. Then he had to offer a bull for all the priests. Before he even gets started, he's got to make all these sacrifices. Then he goes into the holy place, not the holy of holy places. He goes into the holy place and basically takes a bath, takes his clothes off, puts on linen undergarments, linen tunic, linen sash, and a turban. Then he goes back out, sacrifices another animal. Now, one day a year, he goes into the most holy place. This is where that veil is. It got torn in half when Christ rose from the dead. This is the veil that was torn in half. So now he goes past the holy place into the most holy place where God himself dwelt. And he takes some of the blood of the bull and he sprinkles it on the atonement cover of the ark. Then he backs out of there and sprinkles some more blood in the holy place. Then he backs out of there and goes into the sanctuary and there's two other goats. And one of those goats is going to lose, I think. And one of those goats is going to win. And the goat that loses, he slits its throat, sprinkles blood on the altar, and now goes back to the holy place and goes back into the most holy place and sprinkles the blood on the atonement cover of the ark. And he goes back outside in the sanctuary, into the courtyard, and he lays his hands on the other goat. Now, what does he do? He transfers all of their sins. All their guilt, all their immorality, all their rebellion, all their betrayal, all their stealing, lying, everything. He transfers all those sins on the scapegoat. And some guy then takes the scapegoat out into the wilderness and leads that goat way out there. And the guy who takes it out there, he's got to take his clothes off and burn them outside the camp. And now the high priest goes back into the holy place, takes his clothes off, bathes, and puts on his regular atonement clothes. Now, the point is not the sequence. The point is not that you can quote any of that. The point is, it was never enough. Every year, they had to go over this again and again and again. Let me explain it like this. It'd be like you got all your sins, and this is a book, and this is your book. And in your book, it's got, you know, I was three, I stole the Snickers bar from Target, you know, and and I was seven and I knocked Susie off the bike. I don't know why I'm picking on Susie. If there's any Susie's in the room, it's a great name, okay? Um, you know, I was in middle school and I cheated on that, you know, math test and I was in high school. Ooh, there's a lot of high school stuff in there, you know. And then and in college, you know, wow, you know, and, 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 and so it, it's like, it's like on the day of atonement, you, you get a clean sheet of paper, but all your stuff still listed. Everything you ever did is still written down in the book. But on the day of atonement, seventh month, 10th day, you get a clean sheet of paper. And all it does is it appeases God's anger. He's still angry. You still got all that sin and all that junk and all that shame. It's still written down, but it's, it's still there. This is what happens with Jesus Christ. This is why Christ is our hero. When Jesus Christ spilt one drop of his blood, Jesus Christ took your sins and he removed them as far as the east is to the west. He buried them in the deepest sea forever. And this is what I want you to understand. All of your sins, past, present, and future, one drop, one drop of Jesus' blood. And so this is now your life. 
This is now your book. This is, this is when I was three. That's no longer there. Middle school is no longer there. High school. You sure high school's not there? You know, high school, college, young adult, that first marriage, that second marriage, that business trip, that deal. Well, that went south. All of that is clean. There's nothing in there. And guess what? Not only do you have a clean sheet of paper for your past and and for today, your future. All of your future is lily white. Do you get this? This is what Jesus did. Jesus Christ took all of your sin, all of your betrayal, all of your problems, all of your pain. He took all the stuff of your life and he cleansed you from all your unrighteousness forever. You have been bought with a price, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so your entire life... Now, people don't get this. No, preacher. No, you don't understand. I did this. Uh Uh-huh. It's not in there. It's not there. Yeah, but I can't be forgiven for that. That, Really? Well, it's it's not in there. Everything you ever said, everything you ever did, if you give your life to Jesus... It has been cleansed and forgiven for all of eternity. Now, that's just too good to be true. But it's too great to pass up. It's too great to pass up. And so that's what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, how do we know that? That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us this very clearly. It says, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, That is not made with human hands. Jesus went through the perfect tabernacle. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once. Not again and again and again and again and again. Once. For by by his own blood... Thus obtaining eternal redemption. Jesus bought you and me back. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. They're outwardly clean. But how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences? We can clean the outside of the cup and we can still be a mess, right? We can come to church in our little earth suits and we can look good and smell good and we got clean teeth. But inside, we're still all jacked up, aren't we? This is what Christ does. He cleanses your conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve. And here's the whole point. We may serve. That we may serve. That we may serve. That every, imagine if every day you serve. Imagine if every day you live your life, I'm free, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I've been bought with a price. Every day we live, not for ourselves, we live to serve the living God. Imagine what your life would be like if every day you were a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the next part of Hebrews chapter 10. He says, day after day. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. He offers the burnt offering. He offers the grain offering. He offers the fellowship offering. He offers the sin offering. He offers the guilt offering. On the Super Bowl, he does the whole Day of Atonement thing. Every day, day after day, again and again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that's everybody in this room who's given their life to Jesus. And so again, the question would be is, for those of us that are Christians, let's live that way. Let's live in the power and the freedom and the forgiveness that's our inheritance. And if you're not a Christian, this is why we invite you to give your life to Christ all the time. This is why we think the smartest move is not you resisting and rebelling and trying to do your own thing. We think the smartest move you could ever make is to surrender your life to the great high priest. And that's why we offer that opportunity. Now, why is he the great high priest? Well, let me give you six quick fill-ins in your bulletin. because That's going to bother some of you if we don't get to that. Okay. Let me, let me fill that out real quick. Number one, he's a great high priest because he's both human and divine. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Number two, he's a great high priest because he's sympathetic. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, Hebrews 4.14. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Look at the next one. Divinely appointed. Wow. In the same way, Christ had not taken on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son today. I have become your father. Hebrews 5, 5. And he's eternal. Look at this. Hebrews 6, 20. Where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, He's become a high priest forever. Look at that next one. Sinless. Wow. Hebrews 7.25. I'm 7.26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, who's blameless, who's pure, who's set apart from sinners, who's exalted above the heavens. This is why, this is why we have a high priest. I want you to read this with me out loud. Here we go. Read, this, read exalted. Hebrews 8.1. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. No, no, no. He was exalted. He is exalted to the right hand of his heavenly father. 